ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Coming up, Lab and I recap a wild week at the Travelers Championship. Welcome to the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. Normally, this is where we tell you about John Rahm's equipment he used to win the U.S. Open, but why not hear from the champion himself? For all those people that might have doubted the, the manufacturer change, you know, there was a reason why I believed I could get better. And the new ball and the new irons uh, allowed me to hit certain shots that I simply wasn't capable of before. And it showed, you know, some of those wet shots and some of those long shots at eight iron and one. I mean, being able to hit that shot high with spin, but still go through the wind and hit it short of the pin. And many others like that is what allowed me to stay as aggressive. So uh, I need to say a huge thank to that to the team in Callaway. You know, they've, I gave them a headache. I don't know how many putters they've built for me, for me to find the one I needed. And, you know, I'm pretty sure I found the one I need. Uh, this one's working really well. So Joe, thank you for all the hard work. and. Uh, we got one, boy, so I guess second one of the year. <laughs> to learn more about Rom's gear, visit callawaygolf.com slash Rom. Lav, a uh, couple entertaining things I want to touch on. One, you're back in a, some sort of flower room, not the flower room. You left that one behind. And two, you wasted zero minutes jumping on the bandwagon. I noticed you're wearing a Jacksonville Jaguar shirt. Uh, yeah, two things. So I'm now in what we can affectionately call the new uh, flower room it's basically the same decor uh just less gaudy paint uh we basically painted the entire house i'm colorblind but it's some kind of off-white um so it's not quite as gaudy had to turn off a video so i didn't um uh, screw up our connection here however um things are going along swimmingly thank you for asking uh construction continues today on the office doors that should be that project should be completed here in the next day or two and yes uh for father's day my wife got me jacksonville jaguars hats jacksonville jaguar shirts in fact a young lady at Publix this morning asked me if i was excited for the season uh i started talking about george's quarterback and jt daniels how i think he's going to take the next step this year and then i realized that yes i was wearing a jaguar shirt and she was talking about the jaguars Uh, so yes i'm excited for that too uh my new hometown team did you stumble around some some trevor you know, new quarterback, new coach. Did, did you stumble around that or did you just give up and walk away? I mean, I'm a huge Travis Etienne fan. Um, I'm not what sure how they're going to use him. Fan? I mean, Trevor Lawrence is very good, but if he doesn't have a supporting cast around him, you know, he can be the best quarterback in the league. It's not going to It's not gonna matter. I think Travis Etienne, I think they initially projected him as like a third down scat back. There's no way. He's just way too talented, way too explosive. Um, I'm hoping to get him 
mid to late round of my fantasy draft too, by the way, if you want a little tip for your, uh, for your auction draft. You'll be doing the snake draft. Uh, I'm taking now. That's not correct. So that's actually going to be tricky. Uh, my <laughs> wife is, my wife is due basically the week that we, um, are ex- that we, that we normally do our fantasy football draft. So something, something's going to have to give here. Um, and I don't think it's going to be my fantasy football drafts. Uh, bandwagon jumper at his very best. I'm guessing you threw away your Orlando city hat that people were making fun of you for wearing at the open since you no longer live in Orlando city. And I'm not even quite sure if you're a soccer fan, but I did want to start this week's podcast with talking about Sunday's finish at the travelers championship, which was very, very cool. I mean, when you look at how we want tournaments to end, this pretty much explains it, right? That this is the, the, the blueprint that you would want for an exciting finish at a tournament. It was down between Harris English who finishes his week or finishes regulation birdie bogey birdie. So you can't ask for much more than that. Kramer Hickok, they tied at 13 under par. Then they proceed to play eight playoff holes before winner is decided almost wear out daylight. I I love drama. I love playoffs. I love Harris English. I think he's a talented player. I'm glad to see him back on the leaderboard. I hate eight-hole playoffs that featured nothing but two mundane, middle-of-the-road, boring par four. So essentially what it was, the playoff order, just to be clear, 18-18, 17-18. So you're playing a 440-yard par four, 440-yard par four, 420-yard par four, and then back to the 440-yard par four. You just don't have the separation. I, I just think it's boring golf. So I actually don't have a problem with those two holes on TPC River Highlands. I actually think they're really good holes. 17, there's a lot that can go wrong there. Uh, especially if you hit an Aaron tee shot. Unfortunately, with the wind direction that they had on Sunday, guys were hitting four irons and and threes and five woods off the tees on 17, which makes that uh, hole a little bit easier. And then, of course, you're hitting your second shot over water. It's just a little bit easier to navigate. It probably wasn't going to be a birdie hole downwind, um, but it also you probably wouldn't have had that separation with the bogeys either. And that was very much the case on the finishing hole as well. There, we always see drama wrecks. On that 18th hole at TBC River Highlands, you think of Spieth, you think of DJ, you think of Streelman a couple years ago, Leishman. I mean, the list goes on and on of kind of the theatrics that we've seen. But when you have it downwind like you did on Sunday, it was basically just driver and a little bit of flip wedge. And the fact that it was downwind with that tucked hole location, you just couldn't really hit it close enough to that pin to give yourself plenty of birdie opportunities. And so what we saw then was in seven consecutive pars uh, before Harris finally drained, what, a 20-footer um, yeah. on the eighth extra hole. I have no problem with those two holes in particular. What I would have liked to see changed is some sort of emergency lever pulled that you could bring in the 15th hole. Because the 15th hole is where you are going to see the shot differential between maybe even an eagle if you hit an absolutely um, incredible tee shot on that drive of par four. You're certainly going to see more birdies. But as you saw with leader down the stretch, Bubba Watson, you can also make a bogey there that can absolutely kill your momentum and certainly would have you lose the playoffs. So I think there just needs to be a little bit more flexibility. I know why they do it. That's where the fans are. That's where the TV cameras are still set up. I get it. I understand how it works. However, I'd like to just see a little bit more flexibility on the very odd chance that it does go as long as it was going to go. And, and I'm with you. I mean, I think 17 and 18. I think all of TBC River Highlands is, is sneaky under terrific golf course, unbelievable golf course. If you ask PGA Tour players, they're always it's always going to be in their list. It's always going to be in the top five, top ten. 
And it's just one of those places guys like to go. It's a, it's an old style golf course. I think every hole out there is enjoyable. 17 and 18 are no different in my mind, but you're right. When you get in a situation where it becomes monotonous and as you pointed out, seven consecutive pars, I'll, I'll take it a step further. You said, I have no problem going 18, 18 and just seeing how that plays out. And then once you get in that rut, go to 15 and play it back out because you have 296 yard par four at 15, which you're right. You can have an Eagle or you can have a bogey and there's a lot of room for separation. And then throw 16 in there, which is a mid-length par three, but at least then you're also giving the option. Yeah. Uh, you're at least giving the option of players being able to execute a shot under different circumstances. You're just not asking the exact same skill set time and time again, which is driver flip wedge to a tuck pin, and you're just going to try to make a putt. That's not entertaining for anyone. For the fans, who, you're right, are all huddled around 18. They all want to see the drama there. It's certainly not entertaining for TV because as excited as I was about the finish, about the possibility of a playoff between two players who were playing very good golf at that moment, it lost its luster really, really quickly. Now, I did want to transition before we move on from the Travelers Championship. Brooks Kapka finished with a 65 in the final round, played very, very well, ended up finishing tied for fifth. For his prospects going forward, he will not play until the Open Championship. Where do you think his game is right now? I think it's really solid, and I think this was this was proof that you know, he, he can flip a switch when he wants to. And he's, he's, this is, this is not a new concept when it comes to Brooks Kepka, but he's mentioned over the past couple of years, plural years, that he has had trouble focusing in regular season PGA tour events. He just doesn't get up for him. He finds that his concentration's lacking. I don't necessarily think that shootouts are the type of golf that Brooks Kepka's skill set is uh, best suited for. He's a kind of player that you'd like if the winning score is going to be between, let's say, five and ten under par, maybe even you know, certainly less than five under par, anywhere, you know, single digits under par, that that's where Brooks Kepka is going to thrive, and that's just not what you see week in and week out on the PJ Tour, where the winning scores are typically between fifteen and twenty under. He talked about how, you know, most pins during majors are three or four paces off the edge, while on a uh, regular season PGA tour event, they're closer to five or six. It's just, it's just a little bit easier. And, and, and to Brooks, that isn't interesting. That isn't necessarily challenging. And so he just has a hard time getting up for it. So the fact that he finishes fifth here uh, on a golf course that he likes. Um, and I think most importantly, Rex coming off the tail end of a three week in a row stretch on that knee that is still just three months removed from knee surgery. I think his game, is in a very good place, even if he is going to take you know, 10 days without touching a club before he heads over to England for the Open Championship. I think you know, it wouldn't surprise at all um, to see him contend once again at Royal St. George's. He's just, he just appears to be in a very good groove and a groove that we saw him in February and early March before he, before he hurt his knee again. And it's worth pointing out that final round 65 included a bogey on the first hole, which he bogeyed three out of the four days, which is kind of telling. Uh, I, the part that gets me and you touched on it is his health because that's what we've been watching all along. I kind of put him in the same category to a certain degree that you would with Tiger Woods over the last few years, that if he is healthy, then yes, he can still do very, very special things on the golf course. And we've seen it time and time again with Brooks. He clearly hasn't been healthy. It seems like he probably rushed his way back just to make sure he was able to play in the masters. You don't get that impression anymore. As you pointed out, this was three weeks in a row, but I went through and read the transcripts from the last two couple of days as well at the Travelers Championship, there seems to be that edge that had been in his voice has sort of drifted away. He, he doesn't seem to have that chip on his shoulder that he's not only playing against the field, but he's also playing against bad timing 
for an injury. And you're right, with one major remaining, I think that's a very good spot for him to be. Because if you look at the top players at the moment, I don't want to look too far ahead to the Open Championship. But based on his performance over the last few weeks, two of those being major championships, you really have to – I don't know if you make him the favorite because John Rahm is John Rahm, but you make him right there next to him, do you not? I think you do. And, and John Rahm's record in the Open Championship for all the success that he's had um, on the European Tour and certainly some Lynx golf courses, including the Irish Open, uh, that they are playing this week and John Rahm is not in the field. Brooks actually has a better record in the Open than John Rahm. Brooks has three top 10 finishes in just six career starts in the Open Championship. Uh, T4, the last time it was played um, in 2019, I believe he actually had an, an outside chance to kind of chase down Shane Lowry that day and he ended up shooting uh, 74 when a lot of people were looking at Brooks to, to potentially make a run and scare a guy like Shane Lowry who didn't quite have um, that major championship experience. I'd certainly put John Rahm up there, a, a player that I'd be really interested to see um, in the Open Championship who will be making his debut in that tournament is a player like Colin Morikawa. He can clearly flight his golf ball. His iron play is exceptional. And when you get on these massive putting surfaces, putting is not quite as important as it is in, say, a PGA Championship fine. or a Masters. You, you know, it's all about uh, avoiding three putts, lag putting. It's not quite as crucial um, to, to be pouring in those 10 to 15 footers, unless you disagree with that assessment. Uh, no, I knew more Kyle was coming. It was just however you were going to shoehorn him into the conversation. He's the fourth-ranked player in the world. How would he not, how would he not come up in conversation? I, I feel like that, again, putting is part of the competition, so I'm going to be a little dubious until I see him do it on, on a more regular basis. And, again, what he did at the PGA Championship last year was very special. He's a major champion at a very young age. He's clearly a very, very special player with – holes in his game i think those are easy for you to ignore sometimes because you, you he has not in... finished outside the top 20 since the masters I, again i'm not saying that he's he not lost, a very, very he lost good player. A, he lost in a playoff at the memorial he finished t4 at the u.s open i all i'm saying is that i'm interested in seeing him at the open championship because we have not had that opportunity to see him play that type of golf that's all i'm saying well, and i would put victor hoblin in that group as well because because of the pandemic we haven't had we haven't had the ability to see these young players perform on what is a drastically, drastically, drastically different test, right? So we've seen them at a U.S. Open venue. We've seen them at a PGA Championship. We've seen them at Augusta National. How are they going to perform on a links course where weather bounces, everything comes into play? I'm with you on that one. I just knew that you were immediately going back to Morikawa. I have to ask, so the room you're in right now, I'm just a little stuck on this. Are, are you? Is this like a spare bedroom? Because it seems a little antiseptic. This is a this is a guest uh, this is a guest bedroom. Um, okay. As as you know, my in laws live about four hours away, so they let's say they make a, a trip up here once a month, um, and so she wanted a relaxing place to stay. Um, I know you can't see it right now because I had to turn off the um, camera for our Wi Fi connection, but there's a nice balcony out there. We bought a little patio set for her. Uh, I've got an espresso here, so I mean everything is as accommodating as it can be. Um, for the in-laws who, um, they can either take cam to the water parks, they can just chill. Um, I'm, I'm very grateful for their, their help and support. And so we wanted to make the room and their accommodations as nice as possible. Isn't that very nice to me, Rex? It sounds like a hotel. That, that's what I was getting. At. It is. It sounds like you've I mean, she would, she people. would never, she would never have to leave this room besides to get food. I mean, I, we, we've got a TV mounted on the wall for her. I mean, you got the coffee, you got the balcony. What, 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 what more do you want? The bathroom's right here. It's perfect. Okay. 
No, no, I just wanted to make sure because it didn't look like it was lived in, I guess was kind of my point. It looks like it, again, a little antiseptic. I mean, we try to keep the house clean. It is, it is brand new. Okay, no, I'm with you on that. Uh, this is a conversation that got brought up. Uh, I was doing a radio interview and it seems a little early to do it, but when I was asked, I was thrown for an answer. And normally this time of year, keep in mind, there are eight events left before we get to the beginning of the playoffs, which is two months, which is essentially that window when we start having this conversation about potential player of the year. But when I was asked, I was legitimately stumped as I started going through in my mind in, in that split second moment of panic, trying to figure out, well, who's the obvious choice? And the point was, I don't think there is an obvious choice. You have five guys who've won at two times on the PGA Tour. They are, in no particular order, Kokrak, Bryson DeChambeau, Stuart Sink, Harris English, who just got his second at the Travelers Championship, and Patrick Cantlay, who I would lean towards as maybe the leader in the clubhouse for that particular order or for that particular honor. But I don't know if there's anyone you can say, oh, yeah, he's absolutely the player of the year. You would lean towards Patrick Cantlay as the player of the year? Uh, if pressed, given that list, I don't. I just don't know. Again, the majors are going to factor into this. We have one more of those to play. The, the playoffs always seem to have a huge say in this, or at least they have in the last few years. And so that's going to certainly impact how players end up voting. But yes, Patrick Cantlay is first right now on the FedEx Cup points list, which I think means something even at this point in the season. John Rahm certainly is going to be in that conversation, although he – he has one win, but it's a really, really good win. He's got 11 top 10 finishes would be the other one. So it, to me, again, in my mind, as I started kind of going through the stats, I, I guess I just don't have an obvious choice, which is odd this late in the season. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to make this determination now. There's You still have the Open Championship. Uh, the playoffs, as you mentioned, always uh, play a big role. I um, mean, who's going to get this honor? I'd probably put Patrick Cantley third on my list. You have to keep it in mind, Rex. The U.S. Open last fall that Bryson DeChambeau won – at Wingfoot factors into this season. There's six majors that are going to be counted towards this 2020-2021 PJ Tour season. And so, yeah, I think I put Bryson, hmm, I would definitely put him second. I'm not sure I'd put him first just based on his record in the majors, in which case I would put John Rahm right now as my favorite for player of the year. I'm not, that doesn't sound very convincing, does it? No, but I think when you, and that's kind of no, it doesn't. Yeah. But I look, look, look you finished, he, he finished T seven in the masters uh, last November top tens um, in the majors this year, the masters and the PJ before, of course uh, he won the U S open in very impressive fashion. He reached world number one for the first time. Uh, he's been dealing with some um, off the field, I wouldn't call them distractions, but he's, you know, life has kind of intervened, whether it was having the birth of his first child. Of course, he was on his way to the tournament at victory at the Memorial that Patrick Henley ended up winning. Um, so I think if you're a uh, astute uh, voter, you would think through those things and not merely look at the number of, of wins, which right now I know John Rahm has only one win this season. Um, but I think you could also look at some extenuating circumstances at well, at, as well and say that this has been the best player of the PGA Tour season so far. Well, this is absolutely my point, because when you first waded into this, you kind of bowed up with uh, how in the world can it not be such and such or how in the world can you put this person in there? And then you quickly started leaking confidence, just as I did in the middle of this radio. I wouldn't I, I certainly I certainly wouldn't put Patrick Cantley first. That that wouldn't even have even crossed my mind. But as to statistically, I, I think you would be off base on that one. 
because again, it's, at this point, it's about wins. You're just you're just see. looking at FedEx Cup points. I'm not even doing that. I'm just looking at total wins and top tens. I mean, Patrick Cantlay's got five top tens in 19 events. He's played very to go, you know, with two wins as well. So he's played very. How many, very well. how many, did, how many does Stuart Sink been, have? Uh, Stuart Sink, I don't know. Let me if you want, if you want to go by wins, Stuart Sink has just as many wins as Patrick Cantlay. Two wins, three top ten finishes. I don't know. Again, we're just kind of splitting hairs, and we ha- we're completely having this conversation. Uh, and we haven't brought up Jordan Spieth. We haven't brought up Justin Thomas. We haven't brought up Rory McIlroy. I think all of these players are still very much much in the mix, to your point. The part that is surprising to me is normally by the time we get to at least the other side of the Open Championship, which is two weeks away, we have a pretty good idea. Like I always seem to go into that first playoff event saying it's so-and-so's to lose, right? That's what I always seem to say. That's not the case this time around. I do think that it's safe to say that with two months remaining in the season, John Rahm – is the favorite, if if not a slight favorite. I, I think it would be right there. I think you can make a really good argument for John Rahm. Obviously, his, that major championship and what he has ahead of him. I, I, I always contend, and, and no one's going to do this because it's not a PGA Tour property, but I also think you should factor in what a player would do in the Ryder Cup because I can envision John having one of those big finishes to the season, a lot like Francesco Molinari did a few years ago. Where the, other season, a- the, the other season's already started. You can't include the Ryder Cup. Oh, I agree, but you can you can include the Ryder Cup, and the other season has started. However, and they would never do it again because it's two separate properties and one owned by the PGA of America versus the PGA Tour. I would argue, though, if you look at the player of the year, that this is MVP voting as well. Like, shouldn't you wait to see what a player does in the playoffs to, to vote on the MVP? That's always just been my argument, and I would argue that to a certain degree, the Ryder Cup is the play is pretty big stage. I mean, that's why I personally and not to be biased since we're both board members, that's why I kind of like the GWA player of the year because you're looking at the calendar year of 2021. You can look at the four majors. You can look at the playoffs. You can look at the Ryder Cup or the President's Cup, whichever it is that particular year. You can look at, let's say, a guy you know rips off three wins in the fall. That You can all you can have that all-encompassing before you make a end-of-the-year, calendar year yeah. vote and determination, which is what we do for the GWA. So in, in which case, you can factor in performances like the Ryder Cup but you're, if you're looking at PGA Tour player of the year when when does the ballot go out the week after the tour championship yeah so I think it's an electronic ballot now so I think they probably send it out that, that the agents event. a week that, or two that, yeah that, that 25 percent of agents fill out and the rest is just left in the ether 25 seems low I would actually go higher I mean if I'm gonna do it I mean I I would doubt that Dustin Johnson has never voted for anyone for PGA Tour player of the year he should have voted for himself last year. That was that was a no-brainer. It was a speaking no-brainer. Of, speaking of which, DJ, what's what is wrong with this guy? I mean, he's he is he won in Saudi Arabia early February. He does not look like the same player. He had a chance to win uh, on the weekend at Riviera, if you recall, those tournament that you were covering. He just doesn't look like the same player since. He's really given himself very few opportunities, and the the few chances that he has had, like he had Sunday at the Travelers, uh, he was he was quick to back up. He just. I mean, it's, a, it's certainly a far cry from the player that we saw last fall, but he, he actually just looks kind of lost at this point. When we start talking about it, the U.S. Open, if Dustin misses another cut as the world number one, that was going to be historic, if I remember correctly, right? That was going to be... It was already it was already historic in the sense that no world number one has missed uh, consecutive majors um, as the top-ranked player in the world, which is what Dustin did um, at the Masters and the PGA Championship. I mean, since the Genesis Invitational, as you pointed out back in February, he has 
just one top 10 finish at the Palmetto Championship, which was essentially kind of a home game for him. And that was a tie for 10th. And, and another never... opportunity where he had a chance to win and backed up. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if he really had a legitimate chance. He shot a 73 on Saturday, which probably put him out of it going into the weekend. However, if you, even at, at the U.S. Open, he seemed to rebound. I, I think this is kind of what we've seen from DJ throughout the course of his career, is it not? Where he's going to have these periods. This is like worse. This is this is worse. This is we're we're not accustomed to seeing DJ this sloppy. I mean, he his his driver's been inconsistent. His iron play last week at TBC River Highlands was dreadful. And then you know, as it usually comes down to DJ, it's it's about his putting. He's been playing putter roulette like he like he does for the most like for the majority of his career. Um, and he hasn't quite found one that he likes or a stroke that he can find consistently. Well, and I would go back to if you that snapshot in the fall where at the U.S. Open in September, it's tied for six. Houston, a few weeks later, pretty much to start the second season, he has a runner-up finish, and then he wins the Masters, which, you know, in a very dramatic fashion. So if you look at that window and then where he's gone from there, I think, and you can say this feels more dramatic, and maybe statistically that's the case, but this is the ebb and flow of DJ's career where there are going to be these ebb and flows simply because – I think from a concentration, from a focus standpoint, sometimes it's just not there. And we've seen it in other sports. We've seen it from top players everywhere where you get to the top of the mountain and it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of dedication. It's hard to maintain that over the course of 12 months, over the course of two to three to four to five years. I just don't know if he has that gear. It's what made Tiger Woods so special, right? He was able to do it over the course of a decade. Whereas DJ, and I would make the same exact same argument for Rory to a certain degree, that he has these ebbs and flows where he plays brilliantly and it doesn't seem like anybody in the world can beat him. And then I think life intervenes and other things start to take priority and you start to lose focus and you, you take energy away from the game. That, in my mind, is what we're seeing from DJ. Yeah, and I think it's probably unfair to compare the DJ that we're seeing now to the DJ that we saw last summer and last fall because you look at historically, I mean, that was – a historic stretch that he was going through a, a stretch that we hadn't seen basically since tiger in 06, 07 tiger, 2000, 2001. I mean, that was what he was on par with doing for five to six months. Now tiger did that for a longer period uh, years uh, in, instead of just five to six months, but what DJ was doing, giving himself a chance to win week in and week out, ripping off two, three wins in a row um, just being a consistent force was was incredible to see um but it is just i think of just a little bit jarring just how much he has fallen off you look at his strokes gain number which is what you kind of measure a, a player's complete performance with he's 18th on the pj tour strokes gain total that's not terrible he's still in the upper echelon of pj tour players but it's also the worst position that he's had since 2013, which was before DJ became DJ. He wasn't yet a major champion. He was still playing that big sweeping draw. He still wasn't the, the consistent force that we've come to know him. And so, yeah, he, he is a little bit worse this year than he has been over the last five, six years. Maybe the focus wanes. Maybe he's taken some more opportunities off the golf course. Uh, maybe he just doesn't quite have it with his swing, and he and Claude Harmon uh, can't quite – uh, pinpoint exactly what the issue is i'm just a little surprised because once dj you know ran away with the masters last november all we heard was this is a guy who's who's finally hit his stride he's 36 years old still very much in the prime of his career he seemed at least at that point determined and dedicated to to maximizing what was left 
of what is already going to be a Hall of Fame career. Um, and so to see him back up this way in 2021, I, I think it's just been one of the year's bigger surprises, actually. And the, like the part that gets me, and I think we talked about this at the U.S. Open, was that he was so dominant during that stretch that even since then, when he has simply not been dominant, he maintained the number one world ranking through the U.S. Open. I mean, he had, he had built up enough. I mean, he had such a huge lead. Yeah. I mean, so it gives you, again, you, it's a snapshot. And I don't know that, I mean, you could sit here and say, okay, strokes came and everything else has fallen off. And he really hasn't given himself a legitimate chance to win. He's still making cuts. He's still finishing in the top 25. Yeah, he's still it, he's still a top he's still a top player. I mean, 18th strokes gain total is nothing to scoff at. It's just it's just un-DJ like in terms of the dominance or the excellence that we're used to that we're used to seeing. No, I agree. All right, before we get out of here, I did want to ask you, and this is a story I wrote uh, late Monday. There was a memo sent to PGA Tour players that the PGA Tour is going to stop on-site testing for COVID-19 beginning at next month's 3M Open. And there was two things I really wanted to talk about. One, and I think we're both under the same mindset, just kind of revisit where we've been over the last more than a year. And just to give you the idea of, I think in retrospect, when this story is written about the way the PGA tour handled the pandemic. I'm not sure if anyone deserves more accolades and I'm not, that's not to say it's perfect. I don't want to be the cheerleader and completely on board and, and, you know, duck my head under the pillow and pretend like nothing went wrong. Cause certainly what happened with John Rahm a few weeks ago at the Memorial was stark and, and it was eye opening and it was a little awkward and there were a lot of things that could have been done better, but from start to finish since the restart last summer, at Colonial to where we are now and moving into a position where they feel comfortable not testing at all. I don't know that there was an organization that handled it better. And I think history will be kind to the PGA tour when this story is told. Oh, I, I absolutely think history will be kind to the PGA tour and how they handled uh, playing golf through a pandemic. And it was actually, it, it, it's, it was certainly interesting to think that the biggest headline grabber, of the PGA Tour in the COVID era came a year after they came back, which is what happened to John Rahm. It took a year for what was basically the worst case nightmare scenario to come to fruition, which is having a tournament leader test positive and have and be forced to withdraw from the tournament. I mean, that was the worst case scenario. That was the turn. That was the scenario that they talked about in March, April, May, when they were rolling out all these protocols and safety plans and they're having all these presentations. That was what they said is the doomsday scenario, and it happened a year later. Um, and so that just shows how good of a job they they had, you know, putting putting a lid on this. And look, they still had positive tests, right? They had more than two dozen, I believe, with some of the the biggest name players in the sport, whether it was John Rahm or Dustin Johnson or Adam Scott or Tony Finau. Those are just the players uh, that we know about who who publicly tested positive. COVID-19 and so to to weather the storm and and to now get to a point where in mid-July which would be 13 months after the tour initially came back um, to to finally get to a point where the membership is vaccinated enough to a high enough level that the medical advisors think it's okay to stop testing on site for asymptomatic uh, players um, I, I think you know kudos to to everyone involved with that effort you know I'll, I'll go back to and this is about the competitive integrity of each sport because, again, up until the memorial, I think you could argue that even though there were positive tests and there were issues and, and traveling was, was awkward and there was a lot of money that had to go into testing, we didn't end up with the same question marks that I think other sports did. Specifically, I would point to basketball, the NBA, and those playoffs that were played in the bubble in Orlando, 
even though it felt like a, you know, an engineering victory, just because you could get all those people together and isolate them. Essentially, I think in retrospect, people are going to look at those playoffs and kind of roll their eyes simply because it didn't seem to feel like the same playoffs that you've had year in and year out. And I think we're seeing that this year in the NBA playoffs, the, the college world series just had an entire series essentially canceled because of contact tracing and COVID protocols. So I think compared to other sports, the part that the PGA tour probably does need to pat themselves on the back right about now is we made it. The, the, again, there were problems. There was awkward moments. There was times when there was probably some questions being thrown around there and it's far from over. I mean, the open championship is going to be another huge hurdle and another challenge. Yeah. I actually, toward- I actually want to, I want to get into that. Um, Okay. Because if if you look at the update that the RNA sent last week, I mean, this is arguably more restrictive than we've seen at any point during the pandemic. Now, this is largely because of the UK government and they've had um, some surges in cases because of the Delta variant of COVID-19, which is certainly wreaking havoc um, over in that part of the world. What was your take on what we're going to see in a couple of weeks where all of the competitors in the field can only have, I believe, a maximum of four in their inner circle make the trip over there. That includes a coach, a caddy, a trainer. Um, I'm probably forgetting someone else, but you know, it's a very limited uh, number of people who will be making the trip, including apparently uh, media members. Well, and I was told actually, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken by a few agents that I think it's, it's the player, the caddy, and then plus one. So I think it's a maximum of, of, of three. They're like players have to choose. Are you going to take your swing coach? Or you're going to take your significant other, which is awkward. I mean, let's mm. be honest. Hmm. That mm. one's going to be tough. Hmm, uh, sure. Yeah, I wonder Swing what coach. you'd do for that scenario. Yeah, that one's tough. But no, and I mean, I think the part that, it, let's be honest, it's going to rub players, it's going to run, run, rub some caddies the wrong way. I think there's going to be 30,000 plus on property is what the RNA 32, is 32,000. 32,000 yeah. fans, and yet you got to quarantine for five days. All the players... You know, it's just such a small circle that they can bring. It seems it seems overly restrictive. And these are the different rules. And I think we all need to understand that the Olympics is going to be very, very similar in a few weeks. I think when you know when we get back from the Open Championship, I'm going to have three days, essentially, to do multiple tests to get ready to get back on a plane to go to Tokyo, simply because we've become used to this. And I think even there was a memo that was sent to you and I last week that even some of the re- restrictions that remain for media members at PGA Tour events have been stripped away. So now you and I can do our jobs almost like we've always done, where you can approach a player on the range or approach a player during a pro-am, things we haven't been allowed to do over the last years. It's clear, it's obvious, it's painfully obvious that the rest of the world's not with us on this, that they are still very much a few steps behind us. And, and I'm not saying that they're wrong and we're right. I'm just saying different governments, different parts of the world are looking at this differently in the open championships going to be vastly different. Yeah. I think we're looking at when we, we talked to some of our colleagues um, at Torrey Pines or in the U S open about who was actually going to make the trip over. As you mentioned, it's a five day mandatory quarantine for those travelers going over there. So you will be our lone representative uh, I'll miss you. I'll miss you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you will. Uh, it sounds like uh, Bob Herrick, our, our good friend from ESPN.com, will be over there. Maybe, maybe a couple of others. But looks, like, it sounds like. I mean, I'm, I think it's safe to say, a max of five U.S. media members uh, will be making the trip over to the Open Championship. I mean, and I mean scribes. I don't mean 
uh, TV personnel as we'll have Todd Lewis there um, doing some on the ground reporting as well. I mean, it's going to be a vastly different experience for, for you covering the, the golf tournament. Um, certainly for me sitting at home, I hate doing that for a major championship. Um, our pod that week is going to suck uh, because I'll have zero perspective of what, um, how the course is playing, what the players are saying. Um, I'm, I'm already, I'm already dreading, I'm already dreading that podcast in two weeks. I'm just going to be bitter the entire time. Are you really? I mean, yeah. can't we just, can't we this, just enjoy that's it? My, that's my, no, that's my favorite. That's my favorite term of the year. Everyone talks about, Oh, it must be great to go to the masters every year. I absolutely love covering the open championship. And, and actually now that we brought I'll be it up, in quarantine, like it's not, I, I think we need to just do. Are you, are you really that. though? I, you, you seem, you seem like a, you seem like a, a rule break. You seem like someone who would flout the rules and regulations of the UK government. Uh, I don't think that's fair or accurate or something you should have brought up on the podcast at all. Cause I'm going to follow all rules and regulations that are laid out before me before we get out of here this week, because you're now, I believe it's a month in the new house, it's new doors being put in a uh, new place to do the podcast. What's on the grill this week with laugh. So, I'll keep this brief because there's something, uh, there's something much bigger uh, afoot. So yesterday uh, I cooked salmon as I typically do uh, on Monday. I used the Traeger yesterday. Uh, today we're going to do a little bit of spatchcock chicken um, over some lump charcoal on the gateway. Uh, tomorrow we'll do some pork tenderloin. Uh, probably use the PK for that one. But Rex, since I know you are a, a, um, a, an intrepid journalist, who has the finger on the pulse of, of every circuit, not just the PJ tour, but on the ladies European tour this week, any guesses of what the tournament is? Uh, I cannot. You've got me on that one. I'm, I'm it is the big green egg open. How are you not covering that? On the ladies European tour, there was a snapshot that was posted on social media. The T markers for this week's let event or little big green eggs. So if anyone, that, yes. if anyone from the LET is listening, if our friends from Callaway can help us out, I desperately need those big green egg tea markers. I don't know what I'd do with them. Uh, I don't know where they'd go in the house. I'd probably just put them up next to Miami uh, at my home office, as you like to point out uh, so frequently. But I need those tea markers. I mean, what the big green egg open? I mean, this tournament was made for me. You would have quarantined a month for that, wouldn't you? How are you just now figuring this out? Yeah. At least. I mean, my, my wife is seven and a half months pregnant. I got a two-year-old at home. Uh, we've got the new new house. We're still getting ready. I would absolutely quarantine for a month in order to have covered the, the ladies' European tours, Big Green Egg Open. So there's your shameless ask. Please, someone on the Please, LET. Summit. Someone yes. from the LET. Send just me something free. Me, just save me two of them. You yes, got yeah, mate, you have, free you have eight. You have eighteen holes. You you're probably gonna. You, I'm not sure you'd have a situation where Eric Van Ruin's gonna go absolutely uh, ape on some of those uh, team markers and destroy them. I'm sure oh, the no. players. In the L, I'm sure on the players in the LET are much more uh, have better on course comportment. Someone, someone, you have eighteen options. Just slide me two of those bad boys. Uh, again, you could have gone, but uh, quarantine, everything that goes into it. This seems like late in the game. Uh, it would have been worth it. Would have totally been worth it. it. All right, that'll do it. Next week, uh, hopefully we bid farewell to the new player room and we're back in the new office. For everything from this week's Rocket Mortgage Classic, check out GolfChannel.com. We'll talk to you next week. Life is a highway. 
And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, essential plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.